So we're continuing in Revelation chapter 6, and I'm just going to go read through it first, and um, and then if there's any questions after that, before we get started. It's a good time to ask them, and I can let you know if we're going to like really study that, or if I didn't even study it, and we can talk about it, you know, and figure it out together. Um, but uh, Revelation chapter 6. Um, Eva, would you like to start? Yeah. Talk about, talk about. Verse 1. Just verse 1. And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts saying, Come and see. And I saw him hold a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. Mom, would you like to read the third verse? And when I had opened the seal, the second seal, I heard the the second beast say, Come and see. And there went out another horse that was red, and power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth, and that they should kill one another. And there was given unto him a great sword. Eva, fifth verse. And when he had opened the third seal, and I heard the third beast say, Come and see. And I beheld, and lo, a black horse. And he that sat on him had a pair of balances on his head. In his hand. Hand. Um, and I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say, A measure of wheat for a penny, and three measures of barley for a penny. And see, thou hurt not the oil and the wine. Mom, the seventh verse. And when he had opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth beast say, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And his name that sat on him was Death, and Hell followed with him. And power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth, to kill with sword, and with hunger, and with death, and with the beasts of the earth. And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God, and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? Eva, verse 11. <clears throat> and white robes were given unto them, unto every one of them. And, and it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season, until their fellow servant also, and their brethren, that should be killed as they were, should be fulfilled. And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood. And the stars of heaven fell unto the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs, when she is shaken of a mighty wind. And the heaven departed as a scroll, when it is rolled together. And every mountain and island were moved out of their places, and the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man hid themselves in the dens, and in the rocks, and the mountains. Mom, would you like to read 16 and 17? Mm-hmm. And said in the mountains and the rocks, fill on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. No, oh, Lamb. <laughs> oh, my gosh, I saw an X. It's like, what's that? <laughs> <laughs> okay, you focus again. <laughs> for the great day of the wrath to come, and who shall be able to stand? Okay, so um, I'm going to really open up a lot of these verses, but 
before we get into this, is there any questions on what was just read? And I, I had you guys read specific key verses on purpose, and we'll get into that in a minute. But is there any uh, anything you want to ask about any specific thing first? I just this is like one of my um, my biggest like this is this is one of my biggest um, chapters. I have a lot of um, like I really want to know about at the end of time. That's like. So this is just this is just an overview. And this is gonna look like this is gonna be kind of intense about this opening each seal and what they mean. <laughs> okay, so I guess we'll just jump right in and, and we'll go chapter by or verse by verse. But John has already witnessed uh, quite a bit in this short vision that we've gotten through so far. But this is really only the tip of the iceberg before the real craziness sets in. Before we get into the actual revelation of, of Jesus Christ. Starting out with the seven churches that Jesus speaks about, I, I don't believe John is fully prepared for what he's about to see. Though the angel and Jesus himself tried their best to calm him down and get him to look at what is to come, and they really tried to prepare him, and, and they tried to prepare us. And I think John wrote it in such a way that gave us the opportunity to read it and be prepared about what we're about to experience with him. Whether or not the seven churches that Jesus spoke about at the beginning uh, of this are several literal churches at the end of the world, or just seven churches during that time is not really as relevant as how those churches were acting. They paved the way for destruction because they chose to turn from worshiping Christ and were not looking out for other things that goes against God. Self-worship runs rampant in America, and I have to assume in other countries as well. And the church has not gotten better since this warning from Christ written by John came into the world. No doubt the world has experienced its mountaintop experiences, great revivals have taken place across the land, but they were well before we were in the world, and now we see the world slowly falling apart because they have taken their eyes off of the one thing that matters. This book of the Bible is more relevant today than I think it ever has been in history. And while they're writing it, they seem to really have this idea that it's it's coming, it's near, it's close, but we have a lot more information and a lot more evidence to it being closer than they did back then. I don't think we're quite there yet, but I do believe that it's getting very close and this really opens up, this chapter specifically opens up to that evidence. I find it interesting that during those times of great revival, like during the time of D.L. Moody um, and the sorts, there was great war. Even during the time of Moody, when, when great revivals were happening, thousands, hundreds of thousands of people were coming to know Christ and coming to church, there was the civil war, specifically. But during the latter part of it, we see people really trusting in Christ. And our land, in America specifically, quickly begins to heal from such hatred and hurt. The Civil War started when racist America fought against free America, and free America won, ultimately. Though people today have a distaste for racist America, as they should, they didn't experience half the battle that their ancestors had to face. But even during a time like this, it is possible to see revival if someone would simply continue to preach the gospel. During a time of great division in our country, even still today, it is possible to see revival, just like D.L. Moody saw, and just like thousands of others before him have seen and, and after him have seen. And no doubt, D.L. Moody had no idea he would be a major face of the next great moving of God, but he was willing, either way, 
just to show love and be there for his neighbors. It was said that Moody ran into battle to pull wounded soldiers off of the front lines into safety, all the while asking, have you been saved? Going into gunfire and pulling people away from it. Speaking of their spiritual salvation, partly a reason they called him crazy, crazy Moody, because all he talked about was the Lord. But maybe we don't see revival. Maybe God is done moving across our land because of how far gone we are, and we have decided that we don't want to be saved. And if this be the case, what happens to us? What happens to those that love the Lord and still desire his salvation? Uh, what happens to the rest of the world that hates him and turns from him? And that's what I believe our chapter comes to. This is what happens when the world decides they are done with God. Verse number one. It says, And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts saying, Come and see. And once again, we come across the number seven. And it won't be the last time we see this number represented in the end of times. I still won't get great detail or great significance to the number seven yet or all of the times that it's shown throughout the bible but i do believe that seven was was not an accidental number for god to use he he had seven specifically uh for his particular purpose and and i've said this already previously i think he uses the number seven to show completeness or uh perfectness it's been coincided with the lucky number uh, even in casinos today, we reference seven as a lucky number. Uh, once this first seal is opened, because of the last chapter of Revelation, where John and most of heaven and earth is seen crying because the book can't be opened, they couldn't find anybody to open these seals, they are far more interested in what this book has to say because they have found somebody that can open it. And each seal has a specific meaning and a specific purpose. There's reason to believe that this will be the beginning of the tribulation. If not, it will certainly be a warning of what is to come. Matthew 24, 21 says, For then, this is Jesus, for then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time. No, nor ever shall be. And when that time comes, it's going to be something that is far beyond any anything anybody's experienced, and you'll never experience it again. It's, it's a one-time thing. There's also a common theme to each of the first four, Seals being opened, and I want to see if you notice it before I give it away. Uh, you guys read them, so there should have been something that you guys caught, but we'll, we'll, we'll go through them once more. Uh, verse 2 says, And I saw, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. So we start off with a white horse. Uh, I, I don't know if you guys have ever studied horses or looked at horses. The horses of, of all colors and, and di different kinds are all... Um, pretty significant, and they're, they're, they're crazy to look at, a lot of them. But a white horse is one of the rarest horses to find. Um, and I don't know if you've ever seen a white horse. If you have, you're one of um, very uh, few people that have taken their time to find a white horse. But if it was a white horse, it was more than likely not a purebred white horse. I've never seen pure white They do exist. But they're not very common. Um, they've been used to picture strength and stability, like those knights of old, uh, riding on a white horse. Uh, and they usually rode upon a white horse to show the strength. But because of what we come to read in this verse, we have reason to believe that the white horse would symbolize political and military leaders making their kingdoms larger and taking over land. If we read verse 2 again, it gives the description. It says, I saw and behold a white horse, and he that sat on him 
had a bow. And a crown was given unto him. He's a leader. A crown, leaders only get crowns. So he was a leader, and he went forth conquering and to conquer, meaning he was taking over land. That was his specific job. So we have to understand and assume that this white horse symbolizes or represents land being taken over and, and countries expanding and, and starting wars. A lot of wars happen like this and, and have started like this, and this would no doubt cause a rise in division. And it would cause a rise in wars, much like we've seen with uh, you know, Hamas and Israel lately, and many other countries around the world, North Korea and South Korea, but I won't go into too much detail about that here. We can talk about that in a, a different time, but the point is, wars will be had, and it will be from this, this first seal being open, and God literally has control over that. He's purposely putting that into perspective. In verses 3 and 4, it says, And when he had opened the second seal... I heard the second beast say, come and see. Now, the, the beast that it's speaking about here is uh, the same four beasts that he saw in the previous chapters with the, you know, the, the uh, seven heads and seven wings and, you know, the crazy, all the eyes on, on their wings and bodies and just, you know, the, whatever those things are, <laughs> the, the crazy beasts that are in, in heaven. Now, he's talking to all four of them and every single one of them saying, come and see. Verse four says, and there went out another horse that was red. And power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth, and that they should kill one another, and there was given unto him a great sword. Another horse description is given, but this time it's red. Red horses are the most common color of uh, horses out of all of them. The rider of this horse will be given a great sword, and given the commission to take away peace from the earth, so that we have no moral obligations to kill one another. We don't have anything holding us back to try and either protect our land or try and help rescue somebody else or um, take over other property. Some theologians suggest uh, that the reason the color of the horse was red was to resemble the blood that would be shed through the power of this horse's rider. Of course, when you have nations that are divided, which the white horse represents, the division of nations, uh, bloodshed will ensue and, and people will have no quarrels against killing one another in order to try and protect their own assets and their own material possession. That's how war has always worked, and it will be no different, albeit in a larger scale, during the end of time. In the verses 5 and 6, it says, And when he had opened the third seal, I heard the third beast say, Come and see. And I beheld, and lo, a black horse, and he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. Verse 6, And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say, A measure of wheat for a penny, and three measures of barley for a penny, and see thou hurt not the oil or the wine. I guess we shouldn't do this. I guess we shouldn't do this after t before two. Anyway, verse six. It says, And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say, A measure of wheat for a penny, and three measures of barley for a penny, and see thou hurt not the oil and the wine. So black horses, as we come to this chap, this verse, or these two verses, uh, are not that common either. They're more common than white horses, um, but they're still not very common. You won't see a, a, like a true black horse very often. The rider of this horse is carrying scales or, or balances to measure. This one is pretty significant because it shows how life is going to be after all of these great uh, and terrible things start to take place. This is how the cost of living is going to be. A penny of barley during that time for the, the typical cost back then would have given you 10 times the amount of barley if, 
if it wasn't inflated, if the, if the price wasn't inflated. In other words, inflation will take place because of wars and because of how rare some items will start to become, especially when most of your items are traded by other countries. You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna be really hard stretched to be able to afford to live and be able to afford to eat um, during that time. And the cost of living will start to become unbearable. Um, and as a side note, before I continue on, I, I know that right now we are facing some inflation issues in our country, especially because of how our, our president has been shutting down businesses and making it nearly impossible for those that are still in business to run their business without a governmental, uh, any governmental problems. Um, like vaccine mandates and the such. But I, I do believe that what we are experiencing now is just a small fraction, a small fraction, a tiny footnote to what we will experience during this time of revelation. God is kind of nudging the idea to us right now that what we are reading at the moment is extremely possible and it wouldn't take much to allow it to happen. All of these things have already happened in a very, very, very small way compared to what is going to happen in in the end. And, and I'll get into that in a second. Inflation is something that has taken place often throughout the Bible and has been proven time and time again through dishonoring and disobeying God. That's how it happens. That's how it comes to be. Um, it's not just California. That's disobeyed God. It's the whole country. <laughs> and that's why we experience the things we experience because we've done, we've done stupid things with our possessions. We have not stewarded them correctly. Um, and that includes in our, in our government and um, in those that are in authority over us. But famines, wars, and inflation is always God's way to refocus his children back to him. It gives us meaning and purpose to rely on God. Without it, we're going to continue to see things rise, <laughs> and we're going to see uh, people crumble and wars commence. Even during a time of famine, however, God can still do a great miracle if we trusted in him like Joseph did. Joseph trusted in God and all of the, the, at least seemingly, all of the earth, the, the countries around Egypt were experiencing hard times. They couldn't grow crops. They couldn't buy crops. It was impossible for them to survive. Yet Joseph found favor in God, and he looked to God, and he used everything that he could to steward everything for God. And everyone came to Egypt to buy and sell, and Egypt became a very mighty nation until... Until, uh, you know, Pharaoh started abusing people and, and God had to take his children out of Egypt. But we're not going to get into that. The land of Egypt was the only land with any kind of providence simply because of one man's faith and trust in the Lord. All it takes is one, I believe, to change the world, to change lives. And if our nation as a whole would turn to God, we would see blessings. We would see inflation fall. We would see wars stop to cease and, 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 and start... Uh, start to cease and we'd start we start being able to focus on the right things and and we'd be able to to not be in famines and, and not have these these ideals and ideologies that we have because that's not the, the will of God that's not the way that God works even furthermore God gives us plenty of accounts of inflation to show the necessity we must lay to lean on him Deuteronomy 28 and 49 says the Lord shall bring a nation against thee from far from the end of the earth as swift as the eagle flieth a nation whose tongue thou shalt not understand I'm gonna he said I'm gonna bring somebody that you're not even gonna understand what they're saying and they're gonna come and they're gonna take over a nation of fierce countenance which shall not regard the person of the old nor show favor to the young and he shall eat the fruit of thy cattle and the fruit of thy land until thou be destroyed in other words these people are going to come. They're going to take everything you have. They're going to eat your, your food, your livestock, that which was back then, that was their money. That's how they made their living. They, they traded those things to make or to get other things. 
Um, but the, the, he said, there's these people, you're not going to understand what they're saying. They're going to take everything from you. They're going to take your, your living, uh, which also shall not leave thee either corn. It's not going to give you corn, not going to give you wine or oil or the increase of thy kind or, or flocks of thy sheep until he has destroyed thee. He's just going to take everything from you. And, and God purposely puts this into motion because his children weren't obeying. They weren't listening. They put it on themselves, really. And God just like, okay, you're going to get what you, what you desire. This is your own doing. And he shall besiege thee in all thy gates until thy high and fenced walls come down wherein thou uh, trustedest throughout all thy land. You trusted your walls, they're coming down. You trusted your defenses, they're coming down. And he shall besiege thee in all thy gates throughout all thy land, which the Lord thy God hath given thee. And thou shalt eat the fruit of thine own body, the flesh of thy sons and of thy daughters, because you have nothing to eat. You're going to result to cannibalism, uh, which the Lord thy God hath given thee in the siege and in the straightness wherewith thine enemies shall distress thee, so that the man that is tender among you and very delicate, his eye shall be evil toward his brother and toward the wife of his bosom. Even those that are innocent, those that are nice and good, um, are going to all of a sudden become evil, and they're going to be maniacal, and they're going to they're going to turn against their even their own family, because yet nothing left him in the siege and the straightness wherewith thine enemies shall distress thee in all thy gates, the tender and delicate woman among you, which would not add adventure to set the sole of her foot upon the ground for delicateness and tenderness. Her eye shall be evil toward the husband of her bosom and toward her son and toward her daughter and toward her young one that cometh out from between her feet and toward her children. She's even going to be evil to her, her own kids, which shall bear thee, or well, she, which shall she shall bear, for she shall eat them for want of all things secretly in the siege and straightness, wherewith thine enemy shall distress thee in thy gates." I'm going to give you over to the enemy because you have disobeyed me, because you have not listened. I'm giving you what you want. <laughs> this is what you've wanted. This is what you've grown. This is what you've been pushing yourself towards. So I'm just going to let it happen. This is basically what God is saying. Giving you what you want. Second Kings um, chapter 6, he gives another, uh, this, this desire for us to be lenient on him. He gives another example. He says, and it came to pass after this, that Behenadad, king of Syria, gathered all his hosts and went up and besieged Samaria. And there was a great famine in Samaria. And behold, they besieged it until an ass's head was sold for four score pieces of silver. That's inflation. That's a lot for just the head of a donkey. Um, and the fourth part of a cab of dove's dung, this is a bird poop, uh, for five pieces of silver. Bird poop was worth five pieces of silver. <laughs> I mean... That's in, in and of itself. I don't know what they're using it for, but that's what it was worth. And then we skip down to chapter 7. Then Elisha said, Hear ye the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, Tomorrow, about this time, shall a measure of fine flour be sold for a shekel, which is way more than it should be, and two measures of barley for a shekel in the gate of Samaria. Then a, uh, a lord on whose hand the king leaned answered the man of God and said, Behold, if the Lord would make widows windows in heaven, might this thing be? If he could let us see exactly what you're seeing how how can we know it's true in other words and he said behold thou shalt see it with thine eyes you're going to see it happen right in front of you but shall not eat thereof you're not going to be able to be a partaker of it you're going to see it happen but you're not going to be able to stop it and that's again because of their disobedience to god based on deuteronomy we we must assume that when they say don't hurt the oil and the wine we see it in Deuteronomy, they're saying that, that you won't even have oil and wine, is, God is, is what God is saying. Based off of this verse, what they're saying in this verse, that don't hurt the oil and the wine. You know, the, 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 the barley is going to sell for this much, and um, uh, uh, 
it's gonna it's gonna inflation's going to rise, but don't hurt the oil and the wine. That would have to suggest that they are referring to their most prized resource. Oil and wine during the Old Testament, and and probably most likely the New as well, um, were extremely valuable. And the only people with a decent amount of money had this in their possession. No poor person was going to have oil and wine. Nobody that was um, just getting by was going to have oil and wine. These were people with money. These were people that, that had fame and fortune. So it's assumed that those that are saying don't hurt the oil and the wine are the upper class who are very cautious and illegitimately owned by their materialistic properties. Um, which brings us to verses 7 and 8, which kind of seals the, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. It says, And when he had opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth beast say, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and his name that sat on him was Death, and hell followed with him, and power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with sword, and with hunger, and with death, and with the beasts of the earth. Now we see the fourth seal op being opened, and, and this time it's a pale horse. Now, if you've never seen a pale horse, that's probably because they don't exist. If you have seen a pale horse, or if your horse is pale, <laughs> it's either dying or it's dead. <laughs> you got a problem. Um, you just, and there's probably no way to save it because uh, it's it's more than likely close to death. But pale horses are never a good thing. And and in these particular verses, in this particular chapter, chapter, they are still still not a good thing. They're not a good thing ever. They're never a good thing. Pale horses don't want to see that. You're not going to want to see that in the end times either. This is the fourth horse. It seems, however, that this rider only had authority to kill by means of war or, or means of famine and disease only a quarter of the earth, a fourth of the earth. I, I say only, but honestly, that's a lot of the earth's population that will die from something seriously deadly. Um, this will seemingly all kind of happen at once. You're going to see wars. You're going to see famine. You're going to see people dying from crazy diseases, and it's going to be chaos, pandemonium, and a quarter of the earth is going to be killed off. Once again, it seems we are experiencing something as astronomical as, as what they are writing into the page here. Um, but still, the coronavirus is, is not as at large scale um, as the plagues um, that is promised to come in, in the final times. If you look at the numbers of COVID, comparatively to the numbers as, let's say, the, the flu, um, it's pretty even. Actually, the flu kills more people each year, even still. A quarter of the world has not been killed off like this description suggests will happen, and there isn't any major uh, territorial um, overtakings happening at the moment, though there's been a lot of uh, cold cold wars, which they're just, you know, building up, I got the better missiles now, and, and then this country's, I got the better, you know, it's, it's just how kind of things are, have always played out for a really long time, but that eventually will stop, <laughs> and there will be wars, will be overtakings, and then there'll be great pandemics of massive proportions, and if you look at the numbers of, of COVID, we are just, we're experiencing just a small, small, just a, a tiny increment of what is to come comparatively, um, I know it's crazy now <laughs> either way this is just a glimpse at some of the things that are going to take place in the end so obviously this pale horse gives the description of exactly what has always happened during times of great tribulation a great war a great famine and even evil workings of people that don't care about anybody or anything but themselves this is nothing new the, these horses descriptions and these these things that are happening 
this has happened hundred times over. The horses depict what will happen, whether they will be literal horses or not, once again, doesn't matter to the overall problem at hand. But we also see that this rider was given authority to kill people with beasts of the earth, not just with famines, not just with uh, uh, diseases, and not just by swords, but animals are going to, to take, take over and start killing people. We're going to see animals killing people. This purpose is to depict the same punishments given to Jerusalem in their exile when they broke covenants. In Ezekiel chapter 14, it gives the account. It says, The word of the Lord came again to me, saying, Son of man, when the land sinneth against me by trespassing grievously, when, when they sin against me, which God knows that's always going to happen. People are going to sin against me. But here's what he says to Ezekiel. He says, When they sin against me, then will I stretch out mine hand upon it and will break the staff of the bread thereof. I'm going to make sure that they're, they're, going, to, they're going to see how, what that's like to sin against me. And I'll send famine upon it. And will cut off man and beast from it. Though these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in it, they should deliver but their own souls by their righteousness. They're the only three that would be saved if they were in it. Um, and it says they, they should deliver but their own souls by their righteousness. Sayeth the Lord God, if, if I cause noisome beasts to pass through the land and they spoil it so that it may be desolate, that no man may pass through because of the beasts, because the beasts are going to kill them because they've sinned against me. I'm going to make sure that the beasts have dominion over their land. They're not even going to be able to step foot in their own territories, in their own houses. Uh, they're not even going to be able to see their families because their beasts are there. Um, Though these three men were in it, as I live, saith the Lord God, they shall deliver neither sons nor daughters. No one's going to be saved but them. Um, they only shall be delivered, but the land shall be desolate. Or if I bring a sword upon that land and say, sword, go through the land, so that I cut off man and beast from it, Though these three men were in it, as I live, saith the Lord God, they shall deliver neither sons nor daughters, but they only shall be delivered themselves. Or if I send a pestilence into that land and pour out my fury upon it in blood to cut off from it man and beast, though Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it, as I live, saith the Lord, they shall deliver neither son nor daughter. The, the, he's using Noah, Daniel, and Job as, as like the great example of, of faithful men. Um, these All three of these men had their... their problems. <laughs> they weren't perfect people. They were all sinners just like everyone else, but because of their righteousness, because of their desire to please the Lord and what, they, what they've done, it shows that only these three men, these great men of faith, if, if they were alive during this time, they'd be the only ones that lived because no one else was willing to be like these men. No one else was willing to have the kind of faith that these men had. And they shall but deliver their own souls by their righteousness. For thus saith the Lord God, how much more when I send my four sore judgments upon Jerusalem, the sword and the famine and the noisome beast and the pestilence to cut off from it man and beast. Obviously, things will not be very good. And it will seem as though it, it couldn't get much worse. And you might think to yourself, most of the population is being killed off by complete madness. Um, that, that we could have stopped if we respected one another and, and actually listened to the teachings of God. There's no way... It could get any worse, but you would be wrong. <laughs> it could get much worse, and it will. Um, but I told you at the beginning of this lesson, before I continue, that there was a common theme to these first four seals. Can you think of what they were? Every seal said something. Yeah, every seal said some or had something that was common with one another. No, the horses were all different. Yeah, but they're all different purposes. Oh, 
That's true, but the, the, so are the next five seals. The first four have something in common. The first what? The first four have something in common. It's in verse one, three, five, and oh, seven. <laughs> yep, yeah, once again, the next five will be open too. <laughs> Nothing? You guys can't catch it? It's real easy. It's real simple. One, three, five, and seven. Come and see. Come and see. Every single time one of the seals was open, one of the beasts said, come and see. Come and see. They're saying, essentially, they're saying, don't just be a bystander. Then don't just hear about what is happening, but actually see it. Many have said that, that seeing is believing, and, and they aren't entirely wrong. But God is pleased with faith, with believing without seeing. In Hebrews eleven six, it says, But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. In John 20, 29, Jesus, Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou, hast not, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. Faith is more important to God than actually seeing it. Hebrews 11 one says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. In fact, John couldn't go any further forward unless he believed in Christ first. He had to believe without seeing what was going to happen. First for the vision, and then again first for the seals to be opened. It took faith, and because of his faith, he was granted a front row seat to those things that are surely to take place. And because of our faith, we too get to take a, a look at what John looked at. Anyone else that reads this book will not understand anything that's happening. You have a front row seat to the end of times right now. If, I, if there was an unsaved person in here listening to this Bible study, they wouldn't understand anything we were talking about. Even if I explained it to them, they'd have no idea. They probably wouldn't care because they probably wouldn't believe it. But God has proven himself over and over again throughout his word. Why would this be any different? From John, one of his beloved disciples, we get to see it just as John saw it because we have faith. Not because we get to see it physically. We will more than likely see it physically. But also because we have faith, we get to see it beforehand. Verses 9 and 11 says, And when he had opened the fifth seal... I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. Verse 10 says, um, And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? Verse 11, And white robes were given unto every one of them. And it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. Um, these verses are, 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 are really, really heavy. Uh, I can read them over and over again, but the, 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 they, um, 
there's a lot here that's happening, and there, there have been many who have died for the word of God and for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ to salvation through faith alone, and they are and have been waiting for a very long time to see God exact revenge, to, to see God finally take care of evil people. Thankfully, our God is a patient God and desires that all would come to repentance. As 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. There's a time that God has specifically planned for this. If we had the power of God, and we exacted justice as soon as someone did us wrong, we would be terrible, and all of eternity would be empty, because we would make enemies with everybody. God has every right to be the enemy of the world. You live in the world. He has every right to be your enemy because we have been against him since birth. We have done exactly the opposite of what God would want us to do, but God is patient, and we are going to see much of his patience through these chapters to come. And God continuously gives them chance after chance to be saved, and the people continue to reject and forsake God, even battling against him. But this seal really gives the best description as to why God must do those things that are to come. Why God must end the world as we know it. These verses prove the reason, and the reason is because of the death of his saints. People that have died simply because they preached God's word. People that were killed, tortured, burned alive, simply because they believed in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. That, I mean, the purposeful killing of his children because of their love and belief in him alone is salvation. Our, our world hates God. That's proven through these people. And this verse proves how much it hates God by the fact that there are any, let alone thousands, who have died for their belief and faith in Jesus Christ alone. Even more so, they are placed under the altar, verse 9 says. And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. In the Old Testament, that is where they stored the sacrifice. These martyrs of the faith were sacrificed for this specific purpose, for this ultimate end goal. God does not waste a death. He, uh, he does not waste the trials and hurts of those that face them here on earth. Even through pain and torment, we are glorifying God if it's for his love and for his purpose. These saints are questioning, how long? How much longer? And we often question too, how long will we continue to wear a mask? How long do we have to continue to be outcast by the world because we have either gotten the vaccine or, or haven't gotten the vaccine? How long will business continue to shut down over mandates and complications? How long do I have to deal with this hurt or that pain or that person or that thing before you intervene, God? Where are you, God? How long do I have to wait? Our questions of how long seem so small compared to these saints who were killed and have been waiting for generations to see justice served for their deaths and to see God finally accomplish and finish his will and purpose for earth. They're crying with the, with the psalmist in Psalm chapter 13, one says, How long wilt thou forget me, O Lord? Forever? How long wilt thou hide thy face from me? Or Psalm 89, verse 46, How long, Lord? Wilt thou hide thyself forever? Shall thy wrath burn like fire? In Psalms 94.3, Lord, how long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked triumph? How much longer must we wait? How much more pain do we have to see before you finally just finish it 
How many more people have to die before you put a stop to all of humanity as we know it? How much longer do people have to live in their sins? Will God's patience ever run out? And then God reassures them in verse 11, in the first part of that. It says, And white robes were given unto every one of them, and it was said unto them by God that they should rest yet for a little season. They're given a white robe and, and told to rest a little longer. Just, just be more patient, just a little bit longer. It's almost time. A white robe is a symbol of purity and victory, as, as we've already seen in our study. And we will see it continuously throughout the rest of the study. But in Revelation chapter 3, if you don't remember, verses 4 and 5, it says, Thou hast a, a few names even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment. And I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Even with our small problems and questions of how long, God comforts us and tells us there are things that must be done first, just a little bit longer. He promises us as well, it will be worth it when it's over. Verses 12 through 17, last part of this is, And I beheld, when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake. And the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood. And the stars of heaven fell unto the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs when she is shaken of a mighty wind. And the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places, and the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains, and rocks fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb for the great day of his wrath is come and who shall be able to stand now we come to the last seal of the chapter seal number six as if the wars pestilence famine let alone all the death was not enough to prove god's righteousness he darkens the sun and turns the moon red this most scholars believe, and I believe it as well, this is the complete destruction of the first heaven and earth, which we will get into more detail on in the coming chapters. But I'll give you a bit of a sneak peek before we get there, just to kind of tide you over. In Revelation chapter 20, verse 11, it says, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. In Revelation 21, 1, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. It's a good description of what they're about to experience. Not only will the moon prove God's judgment and the sun, but the whole earth will shake with a great earthquake, it says. Every time God does something huge in the Bible, there is an earthquake to prove his power. When Jesus died and rose again in Matthew 27, 51-53, it says, Behold, and the veil of the temple was rent in twain from top to bottom, and the earth did quake. And the rocks rent, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. Yes, zombies came back um, from the dead and were walking the earth for a short time. When God descended onto Mount Sinai preparing to give Moses the Ten Commandments, the earth quaked in Exodus chapter 19 and verse 18. And Mount Sinai was altogether on, on a smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire and the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace and the whole mount quaked greatly. 
uh, when God reveals his wrath against the enemy. The earth quakes in Ezekiel chapter 38, verses 19 and 20. For in my jealousy and in the fire of my wrath have I spoken. Surely in that day there shall be a great shaking in the land of Israel, so that the fishes of the sea and the fowls of the heaven and the beasts of the field and all creeping things that creep upon the earth and all the men that are upon the face of the earth shall shake at my presence and the mountains shall be thrown down and the steep places shall fall and every wall shall fall to the ground. Oh, when he gets the, the focus of his children back to him, uh, and off of material possessions in Haggai chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, yet once it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come, and I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. His voice shook the earth in Hebrews chapter 12, and verses 26 through 27, whose voice then shook the earth. But now he hath uh, promised, saying, yet once more, I shake not the earth only, but also heaven is going to be shaken. And this word, yet once more, signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken, as of things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. I think we get the point. We, I painted a broad enough picture, I believe. Earthquakes are God's great in, invention to get his people's attention. They will. Done it for attention before. Yeah. We're not living in the biblical times anymore. Those has already happened. You said the one in Exodus too? Yes. Exodus nineteen? Yeah. Yeah. When Moses came down? Yeah, the the God came down on the mountain. Yeah. yeah. Um was there an earthquake when Elisha or Elijah was taken up? I think so. I could go on with hundreds of earthquake incidents, um, but that's not the point. We are we are more alert during the earthquake than we are at any other time. <laughs> oh, we could use Mark thirteen eight. It says, "For nations shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be." earthquakes in diverse places places that usually don't get earthquakes there's going to be earthquakes and there shall be famines and troubles these are the beginnings of sorrows this is that's the beginning of when everything's going to start no, falling apart yeah when we lived in texas that was that was something that, that they would question you know when they found out that you come from california yeah they're like oh you have earthquakes over there i can never deal with that i'm just like you have tornadoes <laughs> the heck you can't deal with shaking of the ground but you can deal with a freaking wind tunnel that throws things into the air that doesn't make any sense that's crazy that's just crazy talk but whatever and and yeah you could say ultimately say in the end you will eventually face earthquakes because <laughs> the her the whole earth will quake when that time comes but we'll also see um earthquakes in places that usually don't have earthquakes and we've seen that happen several times already um in in different locations but it will be a much greater feat um during that time during the end times um, but obviously during those times people have no idea what to do during an earthquake you just kind of you mean you just got to let it ride out it's not like you can just run from an earthquake um you can't even really detect when an earthquake will come even with all of our technology and scientific advancements we still miss a majority of earthquakes um before they start we know there was an earthquake after the earthquake. Um, sometimes it can be caught beforehand, but not, not often enough. But God gives warning about the earthquakes to come. 
this is what's going to happen during this time you can you don't have to doubt it it's what's going to happen whether you want it to or not and it says that people will still be worried and scared and hiding themselves in verse 15 it says in the kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men and the chief captains and the mighty men and every bondman and every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains. In other words, they put themselves in mines. They went into they went into the desert places and, and went into to, uh, into caves and tried to hide from God. What's even worse, because they know they can't run from God, and they know that there's nothing they can they can do to stop God's judgment and wrath is instead of, of repenting and trusting in Christ right then and there, which they, they still have opportunity to do, instead of doing that, they ask the rocks to literally fall on top of them. In verse 16, and said to the mountains, this is what they said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. They know it's God, yet they would rather hide from God than actually turn to him. Whatever the case may be, at that point, I would be a true believer. I'd be like, I'd be like, man, this is this is intense. This is crazy. Uh, the last thing I'd want to do is hide from God. I'm not going to be able to do it. Obviously, if everything that's written in the Bible is true, there's no way I can hide from God. But they're literally so terrified of what they're experiencing. And instead of believing in the one that is making this to happen, they continually to they continue to pridefully ignore and reject Him. Then the great question is asked in verse 17: For the great day of His wrath has come. And who shall be able to stand? <laughs> the answer really is that simple. It, 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 yet it's something that, that won't have to be asked if they just simply repent and turn to God. And no one can stand. We are all doomed to suffer for the wages of our sin. We have all lived a life of sin and we are getting paid for the work we have put into that sin. As Romans uh, 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. That is what we earn for, for our sin. We, we earn death, not only death, but hell. So then it's over. It's done. And there's nothing more that can be said. Except there's one more seal. And we haven't gotten into that. We only saw six seals opened in this chapter, and it seemingly seems to just forget about the last seal. Actually, the seventh seal is not mentioned in chapter seven either, in the next chapter. But there's a reason for that, and, and we'll have to just wait until about a month from now, <laughs> uh, to know why. I will just say it's it's not going to get any easier. Um, the next chapter does give some hope, though. It gives you a break before opening that last seal. The great takeaway from this chapter, however, is that we see God has patience, even with those that are against him. All we must do is repent and trust in him alone for salvation, and he'll grant it. We are saved from the wrath to come, as Romans 5.9 says, and it's in your notes if you want to read it. But a quarter of the world could be killed off, but you won't be one of them. For you are saved, and your life is bought with a price. As 1 Corinthians 6.20 says, For ye, meaning you, are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. God takes care of his children, and even during the last days, he continues to give chance after chance for salvation but eventually chances will run out once you destroy the whole earth how can there be any more chances there'll be nothing left to give chances to if you have already received christ that's great and, and you have reason to rejoice however there are those that you work with those that are in your family those that you are friends with even those that you walk past daily who have no idea what christ did for them they take a chance to know they need a chance to know 
And understand, before it's too late, we just read the opening sequence of what's to take place. And this isn't even the filler. This isn't even the big parts of it. This is just the beginning. The most important book in the entire world was has been put into your hands. Don't neglect it by, by not telling someone about a home in heaven and, and a future away from punishment and pain. Give them the gospel truth as soon as possible and make it urgent. We see our world closely related to the major events pictured in this chapter today. So we know exactly how sick and twisted things are going to get, and it won't just end here. We still have 16 chapters to go, and it doesn't get much better. In fact, much of what we are going to read in the coming chapters mirrors our current culture now. We're seeing it already. We're seeing it happen, though in small small quantities. We're going to see it happen the same way in a grander scale, on a larger scale. What we, f- what we follow through with now, without thinking, and by simply trusting in ourselves or our own life, will be a replica of the way things will be in, in the future's end. Make sure every choice we make now doesn't reflect poorly on our salvation and testimony. The things and decisions we make now will ultimately lead us to those things that we're going to make, the decisions we're going to make when those things come, because we're getting a small picture of it. Or back in the day with people that, um, that know, that are saved, thought every time a child is born, they might go through that. Because that's, that's the point that I'm at in my life, I guess. Every time a child's born, I'm thinking that's closer to what's going to happen that they're not going through. Yeah. If if Melody's not really saved, that's... I think she is. I think she is too, but but if she wasn't... I don't know how she... I mean, I don't know how does that work, but she's... I, I think she is, but what if she... Is it? When she grows up and sees things differently, like... like yeah. You know, is it is it is it sealed? <laughs> <laughs> she is if she's truly saved now she yeah. can't lose her salvation no matter what she, she totally does even if she totally turns against god but it has to be true repentance and true salvation but, but, she, but, but she's also so innocent right now sure so so if she gets older and and she turns from god there's there's a good chance she she wasn't saved like she just said it just to say it I think so too. There's there's signs of it yeah. that I've seen. There's you you have the fruit of the spirit when you're saved, and I've seen fruit more on her account. And she's learning, and, and I'm you know I try my best to 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 teach her these things as as she goes makes mistakes. But um, mistakes are not are not um, uh, you know a capital on on whether or not you're saved. People make mistakes. Everyone makes mistakes. And she's a little kid. She's going to make more mistakes than than right now. <laughs> so this is tomorrow she's going to make even more mistakes than she did yesterday. Um, so but the point is whether or not she's you know falls away from God or 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 um, starts questioning things. Questioning things isn't bad either. If she's like, okay, you know, what if what if God's not real? You know, that's not that's not a bad question to ask as long as she finds the answer. If she says, what if God's not real and then decides, well, I'm just not going to believe he's real anymore, then then that means she's not saved. She was never saved to begin with. And that was a problem. Um, Then a lot of people do that. Uh, I think of Rhett and Link, who uh, were were like they grew up in a Baptist church and and, uh, they had Baptist origins and, and they had faith and they they knew Jesus Christ was the only way to heaven, and then um, 
a, a question was brought before them about evolution and they're just like, well, what if evolution is real? Well, I'm just not going to believe in anything the Bible says then. And they just got rid of the, all of their faith, which means, which tells me that they were never saved to begin with because they'd never really truly believed that. They never put their trust into that because if they put their trust into that, they wouldn't question whether or not it's real because they would find the answers. They would look for the answers instead of just ignoring the, the evidence and then believing something Did else. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, hundreds of thousands of people stop. I'm sure. I'm sure they got millions more because you know of the evolution crowd, but their their content went downhill right after they mentioned that. They started cussing more and they started doing just weird things that just weren't. It, it became bad. It was just awful. <laughs> I haven't I haven't listened to them or seen them and um, ever since they came out with the first podcast episode i just I, I watched a couple of their episodes after that and it just got really bad and i was just like i can't do this anymore this is just awful so but you know that's that's the path they followed and i i hope that, you know there's still they have the knowledge they understand they know that that is the truth they just have to go after it they have to not just you know believe everything else everyone else says because they have a phd in front of their name oh it's oh this is guy's a doctor so therefore he knows what he's talking no that's not how this works <laughs> you can find the answers yourself you don't need to listen to a doctor and most scientists and doctors don't even know what they're talking about 90% of the time you put that into perspective i mean pastor chapel's got doctor in front of his name too so why what makes his his advice any different from doctor evolution over where they're listening to you know they just, uh, they, they, they're, they're picking and choosing their own truths when there's only one truth. There's only, only one absolute, and it's written in God's word, and it's been proven time and time again. These doctors of new, they're new. <laughs> they, they haven't been proven over and over again for, for generations since the beginning of the world because they're new. They haven't existed since the beginning of the world. Yeah, that still sticks to me. That still sticks to me. Just the fact that he said it. Is this was something he said. He said he said I was on I was on a boat and I, I had direction. I knew where I was going and I had my whole family on the boat. And he's all and it was really hard for me to jump off the boat into open water and to be free from that. He's all and, and there's no direction when you're in that water. You just you jump off. He's all but then the harder part was asking my family to join me. And when he said that, my heart just sunk. It was just like, I can't believe... He's not even listening to himself. <laughs> like, that's, that's the worst possible thing you can say. Like, you just... You literally told your, your family to jump off of the boat of safety and truth to join you in open waters. The open water of sin. That's just crazy to me. I just can't believe... I mean, he, he said it from his own mouth. It's like, what are you even talking about? And if people that are listening, which I not paying attention to the recordings but people that are listening if you can look it up i'll probably put something a reference to it or something but it's it's just absolute madness but that's that's exactly where the world is heading and people are 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 throwing away the truth grasping onto their own understanding and they just don't want anything to do with god and and, and they know god they know that he's real but they ask the rocks to cover them and the mountains to fall on them because they don't want to deal with it we have to do what's right because it's pleasing to God. Not because it's pleasing to self or because it's pleasing to others, but specifically because it's pleasing to God. And we know that it's right. And God is always right. He's always proven himself right. If God is pleased, everything will work out better for us. 
yeah, the, the rocks shout his name, yeah. Matthew 25, 21 says, His Lord saith unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. That is ultimately what we want to hear when we get to heaven. We don't have to be faithful in everything as, as far as, as being in a grand scale of, of being the best preacher and being, being the best soul winner and being able to do this and do that. And, uh, you know, if I don't read my Bible every single day, I'm not going to, to be in heaven type of ordeal. But God says, he says here, well done, because you've been faithful in a few things, I'm going to make you ruler over many things. Good job, because you remained faithful to the most important thing, which was believing in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. Believing in the truth and not letting the world sway you away from absolutes. As I've told Melody, and, and I think it's an important uh, note to put into your own brain, our jobs is to seek absolutes, not theories. The world looks for theories. It looks, it looks for the, the next thing that could possibly make sense, but there's no ultimate conclusion to it. Whereas God says, this is 100% true. You either believe it or you don't. And if you don't believe it, that's on you. The, with all of the proof that you have, and you still don't believe it, I'm not going to force it. But if you take the proof and you actually follow the proof, and you actually go to the logical conclusion of what the proof leads to, you cannot deny the Creator. You cannot deny the biblical history that is written before us. And you can't deny that God is graceful, and He's good, and not willing that any should per perish, that He's waited this long before ending the earth, and He's still continuing to wait. Even giving us signs that these things can come true. I don't know how anyone could look at COVID and this pandemic and all of the wars and things that have been happening and just say, well, the Bible's still not true. It's not accurate. You're seeing a small glimpse of it and you still can't believe it. It just doesn't make sense to me. And even while they're in it, it says they still aren't going to turn to him. They're still going to, to ask the mountains to cover him, to hide from God. That should prepare us to ultimately be willing to to tell somebody about it we have loved ones that don't know no doubt people friends family that we need to tell because once again we're seeing a small glimpse of the ultimate reality the end of things any questions comments concerns or complaints <laughs>